Hello, people. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I am Justin Phillips. Uh, hold on one second, folks. Hey, it's me. Where are you? I'm doing the podcast. No, it's right now. Okay, so you won't be here. All right, all right. I guess I'll, uh, you know, do it myself, whatever. You do you. On this episode, I speak with Sheldon Simeon, chef and owner of Tin Roof Restaurants and two-time Top Chef finalist. And, you know, the media and what is put out there is is very, I would say, almost painted, you know, as, as what Hawaii should is. I really love this interview because we talk about Hawaiian food, what it is, what it isn't, how tourism affects the cuisine, how it's presented, what's cooked. And we also talk about how chefs like Simeon are doing all of this work to take back control of the narrative of what Hawaiian food actually is. And one of the tools that he's using to do this, one of those formats, is his new cookbook, Cook Real Hawaii. It's out now. So here's the interview. What distinguishes, I guess, Hawaii food, like local cuisine, from Hawaiian food? I feel like there's a difference there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it goes in part with what our history is. So, yes, it is a two tiers. And when people call what is Hawaiian food, I, what I describe that as our indigenous host culture that we've that is here, you know, the Kanakas, the the Hawaiians that first discovered the island. So the people who who inhabited the, the islands first uh, and their cuisine that they do. And that's where you see things like the emu, which is the underground oven yeah. and uh, where, where poke comes from and the use of uh, salt for curing and, and uh, nuts and seaweed for flavoring. So that's Hawaiian food. When I think about local Hawaii food, it's all these other uh, groups that came and migrated to Hawaii uh, for different reasons, whether it was to work on the pineapple fields, to work on the sugarcane fields or, or military, they, Hawaii became their home. And with that, uh, they brought their different uh, cultural influences that influence our food landscape. Those cultures that I'm talking about is uh, the Japanese, Korean, Filipinos, uh, Portuguese, Puerto Ricans, all of that, all kind of yeah. all mixing up to become Hawaii food. You know, it, it's always interesting to me to think about what people, especially like in California and, and, and across the continental U.S., like what they think Hawaii food is, what they think Hawaiian food is. There are so many influences that it's very hard and it shouldn't be put in a box, but it's very hard to do so. But I feel like yeah. it's it's easy for people to try to do that, you know, or they're just like, oh, okay, like, you know, I've had food at a luau before. Like, I, I kind of get the gist. Yeah. And it's, way, you know, it's way more eclectic and beautiful than that. It's a crazy thing to have to fight to make people understand but in doing a cookbook, like, is that part of the task for being like, hey, you got an idea, hey. but you don't have an idea, you know? Weird. That was a huge premise for this cookbook. You know, as I traveled around 
the country and then even as i got exposed to you know like with top chef and yeah and doing all these shows of what people's idea of what real hawaii cuisine was about and you know the media and what is put out there is is very i would say almost painted you know yes. as as yes. what hawaii should is and uh, you know starting all the way from when elvis did his concert in in Waikiki oh, with the man. hula girl and palm trees swaying in the back. <laughs> For a lot of that, there's a lot of uh, parts of the world. That's what they still see Hawaii as. But yeah, if you peel back all of those those brush strokes, uh, so to say, deep inside the canvas is way is has a lot more depth uh, to it. So for sure, that's yeah, that continuation as as a chef in Hawaii, you know, I try to tell the stories through my food. And that's what these uh, recipes in this book, uh, I'm telling it's everyone's uh, has a story uh, behind it, because uh, it hasn't been spoken about or people just don't just don't know. So, you know, and, and one of the things that uh, that for me, like my my impression of the food from there came through my uh, through my grandparents, like in the early 90s, my grandfather and my grandmother lived in Kauai, you know, for about three, four years. But I remember when they came back, they were just talking about, you know, like what they described, what they ate, what they cooked, like what ended up being in their kitchen because they tried to absorb as much culture as they could, you know, was amazing. But I, I'm also curious about this too, Sheldon, like would people be surprised the number of, you know, dishes that they ate in their childhood, like let's say like California or Texas or Mississippi, anywhere that they might have eaten in their childhood that had like really rich Hawaiian influences that they didn't even realize it, you know? Totally, for sure. With uh, all of the, you know, Hawaiian barbecues or whatever right. that swept across the country, you know, the, the, the way that we took teriyaki Right. The the flavor profile of, of teriyaki sauce compared to what was the you know sweet soy in in Japan, I think, is a huge influence that Hawaii Hawaii's cuisine has on everywhere. Now now teriyaki is like it's practically candy. It's like <laughs> pancake syrup to how sweet it is, and that's a huge influence of of Hawaii and uh, and a big vice versa too. Like a lot of the cuisine uh, dishes that you see in Hawaii has a is has been a very Americanized. You, utilizing a lot of uh, American uh, ingredients because that's what they had in front of them. They, they, they didn't have, uh, so to say, Filipino adobo. They didn't have uh, palm vinegar or, or, or cane vinegar to make right. the adobo. Here. And so my family used apple cider vinegar. That's yeah. <laughs> that's how yeah. they did it. I love that. That's awesome. So like, so thinking about when my grandparents were there, so they were there early mid nineties kind of thing. And I remember the, uh, like at the time, I think the, the, the Hawaii regional cuisine movement might've kicked off around then. Maybe it was like, yeah, like around like 91, 92, something like that. You know, how was that transformed over the years, you know, especially in your own cooking? Because I, I imagine like in Hawaii, it's vastly different. Like California does the farm to table stuff, but, yeah. you know, they got like a plethora of things to choose from. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's there's so many farms, there's so many so many options for what they can use. But I met, you know, Hawaii is different, right? Like how, how is how is that movement uh, transformed over the years? And how, how does it influence what you're doing as well? Like, how do you see yourself a part of that? Yeah, uh I think that's a great starting point to to jump off of uh, is the Hawaii regional cuisines. And I'm very thankful for those chefs because those guys actually 
put a spotlight on the, the food of Hawaii. Uh, yes, it was it was pushed by largely French-based chefs, right. so their techniques yeah. and all of that. So Hawaiian food was, was a little skewed because of that. That's why a lot, a lot of those dishes in Hawaii region cuisine had tropical influences on it, had a mango coolie on top of it, had a pineapple a salsa over a mahi-mahi. Yeah, so yeah. that became a point where, where people thought they knew what Hawaii cuisine is. Uh, but I think in this last five years or so, reaching back and going into our roots of, of discovering the indigenous food, the, the food of the Hawaiians and getting heirloom a varietal of, of uh, crops that they brought with them on, on the canoes, uh, seeking out breadfruit and taro, mm-hmm. the different varieties of taro and learning like the, own, the old ways of preservation and then the ways of that cooking techniques that they use. So I think that's the movement of what Hawaii cuisine is, is supporting our community and, and just like really based off of what the land is telling us and what the farmers and fishermen and ranchers are, are doing. You are listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support the podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com pod. I'm Justin Phillips, and we're back with Chef Sheldon Simeon. I mean, that's a really interesting point that you pointed out, too, of, uh, of like, that movement being initiated by, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of, like, French-trained chefs that were involved. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, looking back on it, it's like, hey, thank you for the attention that you shined on the food that's yeah. being made here. But you kind of, you also have to do a little bit of work to wrestle it away, you know, and yeah. like, what's the, what's the burden on the shoulders of chefs like yourself? Because I guess in part, it's like appreciating a narrative that was began, but also rebuilding it too. I feel like there's, there's, there's yeah. an interesting level of work that has to be done. You know what I mean? Well, in these islands, we're skewed by our economy uh, being based off of tourism. Right. So many years we've put tourism and that the you know, monetary wise of the importance of that coming in. So they reprioritized it that to the point where we even changed our own cuisine to, to welcome the, the tourists and what, what they, they want to eat and what we think that they should be eating. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was based off of that. And uh, I think to you too, this, this pandemic kind of gave us a breaking point of like, Okay, no, let's cook the food of our community. Mm. Let's let's share that. Why why are we trying to do something? You know, as what the chefs they were they were doing in the past of like making this new avant-garde cuisine, uh, largely based for tourism. And now we're 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 kind of shifting that. Is that you're coming to the islands to to witness it, to, to see what the locals eat, to see what we, what we were brought up on. And that is equally, uh, and even in many parts is a lot more real and more delicious. I think it benefits that they get to see what truly Hawaii is and the food that we eat here. It's interesting that you brought up the tourism angle too, because a lot of people will, you know, even before the pandemic would come for like prepackaged visits. And you're right. Like there is a, 
you know, there's a demographic that you might have to like cater to. And and now they've been, they've been coming for generations. Yeah. Let's say you know, grandpa came in the, in the eight, late eighties and or early nineties. And they've been having that, that little, that passion fruit, mahi mahi. Yeah. That's, that's part of their family. And they want to take the next generation or two generations down that they're still seeking that out. You know, that's interesting. There's a, still a place for that. You know, the, the, those foods is there, but, uh, a history lesson and and we can include our our rich past into into those situations and it makes it way more diverse and just benefits everybody to to discovering these things yeah no i 100 percent agree and you know are there any nerves in that too because tourism is such an important part of the economy and the idea that you're trying to rethink what people are consuming and how they consume and how they consume their time there, the culture there, like in rethinking that you're also thinking about like what food they eat, um, how to better represent the area. So you're kind of challenging a system that's been there for a long time. You know what I mean? Like, have you gotten any, it's gotta be nerve wracking to do something like that. Oh, it's, it's totally nerve wracking. Not kinda, you know, it's that balance that that we, we live through here in the islands. And a lot of it is, unspoken of and unseen is that we have this uh, beautiful paradise uh, here, but, uh, you know, we got to take care of our community first. And uh, it's a lot of times it was put forth for, for everyone who is coming and, and yeah. doing that. So yeah. I, I own a business. I'm a restaurant owner. Yeah. And believe me, like having tourists back on the islands is, is huge because they are, they, they're, they're a huge part in, making my restaurant successful Uh, but i think it's just a responsibility from everyone uh, starting from the top starting from our our lawmakers and of educating people and just knowing how to respect our our land and uh, how to navigate it and if you come seeking and and just like and not demanding Mm. you know just coming Mm -hmm. to to discover and and really appreciate these islands for what they're they are is that you'll be blown away by its beauty even even more uh, just because it's not only on the surface it's yeah. that it's that aloha vibe it's it's true man yeah. and we're all trying to trying to be here and we all want to celebrate it with everybody uh, here you know Sheldon like you're doing obviously making great food obviously touching a lot of lives but there's also a purpose behind this which is like to dispel like misconceptions be it in you know, just regular populace, but also like media. I feel like media has a big role in how a place is presented and what they take away. What are some of the misconceptions about the food there that uh, that you see in the media that you're trying to like, that you're trying to combat? Uh, I think that, you know, the particularly Hawaii food is Asian tropical flavors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think uh, that they see with this huge poke craze. Oh, uh, this, man, yeah. Something so simple and so beautiful caught on like a wildfire yep. because it was presented in a different way. So it was like, yes, we got Hawaii food poke uh, out there, but wait, wait, can we tell the story? <laughs> a lot of the times it, it, Hawaii food has been taken and then, you know, kind of massaged into, I don't want to say Americanized, but. Yeah, they, no, you're right. It has for the American palate uh, for it. So, I mean, there was a point in time in San Francisco where I could be exaggerating, or maybe the number's way below, but I'm pretty sure it was about 
one million poke spots that opened at the same time <laughs> like a couple of years ago and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. They were spelling it wrong. They were putting in codes <laughs> and they were putting um, <laughs> mangoes on everything. Like, what is going on? What's right? the, what's the most egregious egregious thing that you've seen when it comes to the to the presentation or or like a, a poke menu? What's something? What's a cardinal rule that you saw that you're just like, this can't, this can't happen. Stop doing this. No, I think the biggest one was the the corn. Like there was a place that you could offer. They were offering corn on top of it. Like, on top of it. Sheldon, bro, you know what's, wrong? what's terrible is that I've eaten that before. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even lie to you. I do not remember the Hawaiians being one of their canoe crops being corn. Oh, my God. But you know what part of that is, though, is like in the avalanche of those spots opening, like that becoming big business, especially in San Francisco, there was a lack of space for like authentic stories to be told. Do you still find it hard to tell stories about the origin of it, the history of it and about chefs like yourself? Like, is it hard to carve out space for that despite how popular a dish might be, you know? Oh, totally. And I think that that showed us of before it gets crazy or whatever, let us be the narrative. Let it come from us before. Oh, people, poke was so hot. They had a envision of what poke was. And then we had to go back and tell the story. Oh, man. Yeah. And doing it. So I hope it, as if things, you know, if people want to, I don't know, Hawaii, Hawaiian music becomes a thing or whatever it is that they're taking from the Hawaii culture is that that people are educated first of knowing its roots before it becomes popularized. Because a lot of times we always have to go back and retract to to find out its origins. And I just would like to see us be more responsible when we consume things of of knowing its its roots. Uh, Because there is a lot of people that sacrificed a lot of things for that, maybe that simple bite that you're you're consuming. Did the pandemic and what you saw throughout that period of time, or at least like the early months, kind of shape the cookbooks you wanted, the cookbook that you wanted to create? Because I know part of it is like the idea of, of being able to make things that are accessible. You can get your family around. You can eat like quick. You're not going to spend yeah. hours in there doing stuff. Like did that, did, did the last couple of... Uh, because I know that I know the time frame has been much longer, but it just right, right, seems right. fitting for now. You know what I mean? Like the, the cookbook is very seems like very functional for now. Well, for me, it's like anything. There's nothing worse than looking at a cookbook that is looks so delicious, but you can't cook from you can't cook. Right. from It's so crazy. Well, luckily for me, you know, I'm a chef that's rooted in home cooking. That's that was my culinary institute you know my my food is of the people of 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 what is being cooked by aunts aunties and and uncles and and what is cooked for family gatherings and i knew that these simple recipes would resonate with people is because that's that's the food food can be delicious and food was based off of necessity here people trying to reminisce about what they had back home in their wherever they came from, whether it's Japan or the Philippines, and then making do with what had. And a lot of times it was simplifying of, of a lot of these restaurants, a lot of these recipes. And it's become the Bible of, of Hawaii cuisine. The, it's all based in, in the home, man. That's it. Doing the work that you're doing, 
having the cookbook out, talking about the work that other chefs like yourself are doing, how do you make sure that you keep the accuracy of food from Hawaii clear? And how do you keep reductionism out of it? The way that you do that is you keep it real to to your heart. That's why I put the word real and and cook real Hawaii. Everyone here who's doing it, again, I cannot say this enough. We love Hawaii more than anything else in this world. What we, we live by the words that, that we speak and we feel there's a responsibility in, in every action that we do. And uh, food is, is one of them. All right, chef. Well, let me know how, uh, tell people how they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can find the cookbook. Give them, uh, give them your details. Yeah. So, uh, you can find me on all of my uh, media hand, social media handles at Chef Wonder. <laughs> and uh, check out Tin Roof Maui, uh, my restaurant. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Chef, I appreciate it, buddy. This was a, this was a blast, super enlightening, and hopefully, uh, you know, people pay attention. People pay attention to what, how you consume a space and, uh, and learn more about your surroundings if you're in Hawaii, you know? Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me speak on this, bro. So there's so much to unpack from this thing. I feel like the conversation really does a good job of talking about what Hawaiian food is, uh, what the role of chefs like Simeon play in it, and, you know, just that struggle of trying to get people to understand your culture, but also what you're putting on your plate to represent your culture. But one of the bigger aspects of this, though, that I think people need to walk away with is just consuming Hawaiian culture in a very healthy way. If post-pandemic you're taking a trip there and you want to eat the food, you want to visit the restaurants, absorb that space in a way where you're not just taking away from it, but you're also learning something. And in learning something, like Simeon talks about, you're also giving something back, even if that is just an element of respect. Thanks again to Sheldon Simeon for being in conversation with me and to Erica Carlos for producing this episode. And no thank you to Soleil, who was not here. It's fine. We missed her. We cannot wait until she's back next week. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please share it with a friend and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you may have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. Thanks for listening.